Yo, before we get into this podcast, I want to ask for a huge favor from you. And that is if you have or you are getting value from this podcast, if you were to leave us a review or subscribe, it would mean the world. And quite frankly, selfishly, it's because I want to, we want to continue sharing these conversations, this medicine with the world. And when you leave a review, when you subscribe, it's a vote. And we would love to have your vote. Nonetheless, thank you so much and enjoy. Josh Zeppis, how's it going, my friend? Fantastic, Wolf. How are you? Uh, as I was telling you right before we started, I had a mm, I had a weird start to my day. Went through some some real funky energy, but decided that I wasn't going to let it color the rest of my day and done what I need to. And here we are. And you know, I'm just going to come out here, have some fun, and bring the good vibes. Then I got I got two words for you. Good morning. <laughs> you know, don't I say that at ten o'clock at night, five o'clock in the afternoon? I say that at all parts of the day. Hmm. Good morning. For the reason you just stated. Because hmm. we can restart whenever we want. Exactly. Clean the slate. So if you can have a brand new day at any point you decide, if all that crap that happened this morning, you can just call that yesterday and say, brand new day right now, then I think good morning is appropriate. Hmm. I want to ask you something about that. Before we dive into that, though, I'm going to, because I, I do have a question, Ryan, and I want to jump into what your intention is that way. It's uh, it's well grounded. What for this conversation do you would would you say your intention is going forth? My intention is to create. To create. Hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Inside of that, my intention is to empty myself out for whatever is going to ultimately be channeled or created, and to come as nothing inside of that. And speaking of creation, kind of circling back to what you said. So you said that we can restart whenever we want. Uh, in essence, good morning. Correct. It's a, it's a decision, not a time of day. That's yeah. Yeah. Where, where did that begin for you? Because unless you just came out the womb fighting saying life was awesome and you're never going to get beat down by no. it, where would you say that came from? Wow. That came from years of self-reflection, personal development, hmm. uh, leaving corporate America, leaving my old negative, skeptical, unhappy self behind. Mm -hmm. That's really where that came from. But I've been saying that probably for about a year and a half now. Every time I talk, every time I speak, every time I introduce myself to a crowd, I always say, good morning, champions. All my videos, all the same thing. Good morning, champions. Because hmm. inherently, no matter what time of day it is where you're at how you're feeling you can always make that choice right there in that moment say you know what whatever is happening has happened and now i get to create newly hence your intention to create exactly and then i accuse people of being champions which i don't think <laughs> I we dare do you often. yeah exactly we, that doesn't happen too often how many times do people accuse us out there of being a champion hmm. where does the champion archetype come from comes from our source where we all come from I believe we're, we all come from a, the same source, whatever you call it. People call it universe, nature, God, Moses, Jesus, whatever. But I believe we're all from the same source as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's a source of greatness. I believe we were born for greatness. Now, we're conditioned to lose. We're conditioned to struggle. We're conditioned to do things that are unnatural and not truly ourselves and not authentic. 
Um, but I believe we come from the same source. And that's why I call people champions because it's never too late to kindle that. It's never too late to get back in touch with that person you're supposed to become, which is to me, your intention for your life. Hmm. So whenever we're creating, we're creating newly, it's pretty much every single second we can say, I decided to be a champion right now. And sure, we'll have our bouts. We'll have our, our times when we kind of get knocked off, which, you know, I'm going to be frank with you and all the time that I've known you, I've never seen you not be this way. I'm, I will be completely transparent in saying that I, I have like I'm waves. Like I I'm going through a massive amount of personal expansion and self-awareness and realizing how much of my deeper psyche has been wired for not enoughness and not a good enoughness. And, and one day I'll be good enough and, and unworthiness. And now I'm like actively having to go through that work, but you have always remained steadfast every time I've seen you. And I, I really deeply admire that. By the way, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I probably go through the same cycle as you go through. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I maybe approach it a little different or I, I believe in when we speak out our troubles, we energize them. I mean, mm-hmm. speech is a way to energize a thought. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very careful in what I say and how I project those kinds of things because mm-hmm. I'm listening, right? Every time we speak, we're also listening to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about champions, let me just go back to the champion point is, uh, Champions aren't those people that don't struggle. Champions struggle. Champions lose. Champions have lots of problems. Being a champion doesn't mean you're not struggling, not having issues, and not going through these waves. I think a champion has two things. A champion always remembers they come from the source of greatness, and they never, ever give up until Hmm. they express that greatness. That's my definition of champion. Not that they don't go through troubles. They just never give up until they fully express the greatness they're supposed to bring to the world. Hmm. And what is that greatness that you're wanting to bring to the world? For everyone is different. Everyone's got different talents and passions and skills and things that are authentic and genuine to them. Sure. I can't, I can't tell someone what it is for them. I can help them discover it, but sure. I can't tell them what it is. Mm-hmm. And what would you say yours is? I think mine is messaging. Hmm. That's the one of the things I could do. Like, I don't have to think about it. I'm constantly coming up with new messages and ways of communicating and inspiring and like punching people in the heart and hugging them at the same time. <laughs> I do that. I've got this weird, uncanny ability to get a point across very eloquently in a nice way, but also slap them at the same time because they're being idiot about whatever they're thinking or not thinking. Um, so I'm putting that to as much use as I possibly can. Hmm. Yeah. So like being able to like, so to speak, slap them out of the, the normal pattern that they're going through and ultimately get them to remember your greatness. Good morning. Like we're, we're always creating and not to get stuck in those loops of, you know, apathy and, and feeling bad for oneself, but to just acknowledge, yeah, we have those waves and good morning. Yep. And, and part of that also is asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. I really am very good at asking the right questions. Um, Cause I think we need to talk about the truth that no one wants to talk about. There's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff out there. People don't want to talk about because it's hard discussion. Um, but we need to, we need to expose the truth. You're not supposed to know about all that stuff you care about. And that's a big part of it. Hmm. What would you say? One of the major truths that is being withheld, that's really important that people know. Oh, there's so many, man. Um, my freedom equation is money times time times identity. So I tend to focus on those, but let's say, let's take money. For example, most people don't realize we're born 
were raised to hate money. Mm-hmm. Think about this. Everybody wants money. We work, we give up our life for money, literally give up our life to make money, but we don't realize how much we hate it. And I'm telling you something, if you hate money, it ain't going to hang around you too much. It's really going to be hard to make money if you hate it. Mm-hmm. So, but people, we don't realize, I think that's one of the truths that need to come out. All these money myths were taught growing up, right? Money can't make you happy. Money's the root of all evil. Money isn't important. Rich people are mean. You, you just, there's a ton of them I have. Um, it keeps us in a negative mindset about money. And we end up distinct. We, we think money's dirty. We think money's like, oh, rich people are mean. Well, I, I don't want to be a mean person. I'm a nice person. So therefore I can't have money. And subconsciously it, it drives us away from making money. Mm-hmm. But really, why can't you love what you do and make money? Why can't you just follow your passions and learn how to monetize it and realize you making more money doesn't take off the, it doesn't take anything away from anyone else because money is abundant. Hmm. And you have, I mean, you have a massive background in this subject because you came from corporate America. Right. And now you're, as, as I understand it, you're freedom fighting. Correct. What did, what did that journey look like? So clearly this was, wasn't who you always were. You went through a self self-awareness journey and, and really figuring out what your truth was and learning how to articulate that and, and understand it. Now you're like, okay, I need to bring this to the world. Where did that, I guess, if you will, wake up, call it someone, someone or yourself slapped you across the face and said, wake up. Where did that yeah. start? It was probably a series of wake up calls. Um, probably the first, the main, main one was actually about money. It was mm-hmm. my 401k. When I realized my 401k was never going to retire me. According to this thing called math, right? According to math, there was no mathematical way that I was going to retire one day from corporate America. You know the dream, right? You work 30, 40 years, you retire, you go travel the world and see your grandkids. And I would have had no money to do that. As, and I was max funding my 401k. I was putting as much money legally into it as I possibly could for 18 years. And it was never going to work. But here's what really pissed me off. And here's the ultimate wake-up call. I found out it wasn't supposed to work. Wolf, listen to this. I, it wasn't it, by design. It was never supposed to work. And I wasn't supposed to know that until it was too late. The 401k was designed. I won't go into the history of why it was designed, but ultimately it became a very expensive savings account where the financial industry can make a lot of money. And it wasn't designed for the savers like me. So it wasn't supposed to work. And I just happened to, I happened to see the matrix, right? I happened to like see the glitch in the matrix and find out about it. And I wasn't supposed to, but once I saw that, I started unraveling everything else. I, hmm. I was looking into health, into my business, into everything I thought I knew I questioned. Hmm. And that started, you know, when you start opening up all the cabinet doors, right? That it, then you just start you finding all this kind of stuff that you weren't supposed to know. And then I saw that as a blessing. It was a blessing to me because I thought, look, the one, there's only one thing that scares me. I, not much scares me, really. One thing really does scare me, though, thinking that I could still be sitting in that gray jail cell of a cubicle right now, doing what I thought was right for my family and for my future, and it was never going to work out, and I wasn't supposed to know. That scares me that I would not have gotten that wake-up call. So it's now become an obligation for me. It's a responsibility to help other people with that wake-up call and help them escape if they choose to to at least give them the choice. Hmm. That's why I do what I do. 
and you were living the American dream. Air quote, air quote, American dream. Yep, air quote, quote unquote, American dream. A multi, multi six figure, climbing the corporate ladder, parking space, stock options, all this kind of stuff going on. It was great. So I thought. And But the thing is, I still wasn't making enough money. I still wasn't as happy as I really wanted to be. And I, sh- and I wasn't free. And freedom is my new favorite F word. Not my new. It's been for a few years now, but it's my favorite F word since I left corporate America. Mm-hmm. Which probably your favorite F word then was somewhere on the opposite side of the spectrum. You can guess what that one was, but that, yeah. I still say that one too. That's still a pretty good F word. It's very handy, uh, but it's not my favorite anymore. No. We actually do allow cursing on this podcast. So that, that, that do. yes, totally. Well, fudgety fudgesicles then. Yeah. So in other words, what he's saying was he was living in a life of fuck versus freedom. And it was just yeah. constantly being stuck in that space. Yep. Wow. Okay. So is there, cause I won't lie scratching my curiosity is, is there any inherent value in, in knowing the, what was the catalyst or what was the, the hidden truth around the 401k piece specifically that had to be, Oh shit, I am in the matrix. Yeah. I mean, it just comes back to that the entire plan. I, I was such a believer in the 401k that like it was almost like a religion. I just assumed it was going to work. I was told by my company was going to work. I was told by my friends it was going to work. I was told by Fidelity, who would ran the plan. The financial industry said it was going to work. Everyone lied to me. Now, my friends and my family didn't lie to me on purpose. They just were, they were parroting, as what I call it. They were just repeating what they heard. Sure. But being lied to about something so important. And then when I was able to get that awareness, that switch, just once you become aware of a lie, then all of a sudden, awareness is the first step towards choice, right? Once you have awareness, you can make a different choice. Mm-hmm. And when you make a different choice about something, you can actually control it. And I like controlling things in my life. I don't like, I don't like being on an airplane and then like having it go out of control, right? I want to be in control of the important things in my life. Um, so just that little piece, that was the first time I, I found something s- such a such a big lie and such an important lie to me. And I was able to turn that around and find out the truth. And then I just started looking at everything else, right? That just, that opened up the floodgates of exploration, asking questions, hmm. not just doing what I was told. Because I grew up as a soldier, right? I grew up as a good soldier. Everything I was told to do, I did. But that was the end of that. No more. And I've never been freer since. Hmm. So then what is like an alternative? So someone's listening and they're, or even myself, I'm like, oh, snap, I was putting all my money into a 401k. And this guy is saying that it's not the way. What, what tenant do I ground this upon? In which direction do I go then? Well, so here's the thing. It's not, it can't retire you by itself. Sure. It's not the end all be all. Should, can it be part of a plan? Yes, it can be part of a plan, but there's got to be other elements. There's got to be other ways, other saving. Um, I don't want to go into details of other things. I don't want to give advice or anything like that. What I would challenge your, your listeners to do is to do the research on the 401k, understand how it works, mm-hmm. and then use it appropriately. Because it's a tool. It's a tool like anything, like a savings account, like mutual funds, like life insurance, like uh, IRAs and Roth IRAs and all these other other instruments out there. 
it's a tool, but mm. it's up to us. And by the way, I'm going to, I poop poop. I, I feel bad. I, I give myself, um, I hit myself on the arm a little bit on this because I should have researched it before I put money into it. Sure. That was the big lesson. Like I didn't ask the questions. I didn't do the research myself. Hmm. I didn't learn it. I'm using this dangerous tool and I don't even know how to use it. It's like a knife. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to use a knife and you don't know how to use a knife, you're going to cut yourself or cut someone else. And that's Hmm. how I feel about 401ks. It's a tool, learn how to use it and then use it appropriately. Hmm. And that's seems to be the sad part. A lot, a lot of our world is, we don't question things because we're told by what we believe are credible sources and authorities saying, Hey, if you do this, you know, we'll go to school, get good grades, get a good job, put money in your 401k, white picket fence, couple dogs, family, whatever you do this, you are living the American dream. Good stuff. Success. Yeah. This is, this is the success. And, and yet in that delusion, in that, walking around with a, with a blindfold, if you will. Yeah. We don't, we don't actually inherently start to ask those questions until uh, apparently you had some awareness. Thank goodness you had that awareness because here you are now and, and you've made that shift. But for many of us, that blindfold in a way is still on. And a lot of us don't realize that it's on. It's like, it's a choice, but in a way it's like, we don't even know that it's a choice because we're just being good soldiers. We're just listening to what we've been told. Most of us are living someone else's life where our belief system is borrowed from someone else. I, I, and I hate to say this, but I think for a lot of people, and it's unfortunate, I think a lot of people probably have two to three original thoughts in their entire life. That's about it. I think most of what we think and most of what we believe is borrowed parents and society and TV and schools. And that's where a lot of it comes from. We're not taught to ask questions. We're not taught, especially we're not taught to ask questions, but we're not, we're, we're, we're taught to not ask questions. Don't question authority. Do what you're told, right? Do as my mom used to say, do as I say, not as I do. That was her favorite, her favorite phrase. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's a big issue. We don't live our own lives. We don't figure out what our purpose is in life and why we're here and how to fully express it. Hmm. How does one begin to go down that journey of finding their purpose, finding, because ultimately it's about a, like you said, it's like a removal of the blindfold and being like, oh snap, there's far more than I had ever imagined right here. And naturally when we start to go down the path of the unknown, the brain wants to latch on to the body wants to latch on to the comfortable feeling and it just becomes overwhelming. And much like a confused mind, a confused mind doesn't take action. So it's, you know, you tell someone, well, you need to change your diet. It's like, well, if you were to really look at diet, like that's a massive conversation and most people would get lost in it before they even started. Where does one begin that journey without necessarily getting overwhelmed to the point of just screw it. I'm just going to do what I've been told. That's easier. Yeah. And this is a very, very big question. Uh, One of the first things I help people, I put people through is the, what I call the wake up call, the awareness piece. You get, we we have to bust some myths. So in other words, you were probably told, or, you know, most people are told you can do what you love or you can make lots of money that you should go to school and find a career that makes lots of money. 
we're just, we're so focused. And even though we hate money, right? It's ironic, but we're so focused on making money, making money. And I'm going to submit to you that you can love what you do and make lots of money. Mm-hmm. So first thing we got to do is bust the myth that money is scarce, that you can't do what you love and make money. If you start believing that, if you actually understand that you can do what you love and monetize it, now we can sit down and we can let the dust settle. We can just kind of quiet down a little bit and you can start listening to your heart, listening to yourself. And one question I would challenge, I usually challenge people to ask is if you are paid in happiness, happiness is now the national currency. Money's gone. Just happiness. So the happy, the happier you are doing what you're doing, the more wealth you have, the more things and more stuff and more happiness. What would you be doing if that were the case? If you're just purely paid in the amount of happiness you have, what would you do with your life? And then you start to see people come up with these ideas, right? Well, I would just work with horses or that just brings out joy. If I could just do that all day long and make money at it, oh my God. Or I would just write or I would sing opera or I would uh, talk to trees. Like it doesn't even matter. There's no wrong answer. But that's one of the starting points, I think, for a lot of people. If they can answer that question, then there are ways to monetize everything. Because money's everywhere. The other, the number one money myth I was told growing up was money doesn't grow on trees. I don't know if you heard that one before, but I heard that one incessantly. I've heard that one a few times. Yeah. And then guess what? I found out that's a full lie in every aspect. One, it comes from cotton, which linen, which comes from cotton, which means it does grow on trees, literally grows on trees. And then also it's so abundant. There are more dollars. There's more money out there than there are leaves on the trees. Hmm. That's a lie in every aspect. So if you understand that, then what do you want to do with your life? What is your purpose? What are your talents, skills, and passions? And then how do you monetize it? Is the, that's, that's the next step, monetizing it. Hmm. So first you have to know where we're going and really what in, in essence is going to bring us the most happiness, because if we can't start, if we don't even have that, it's like the, the whole Alice in Wonderland uh, quote where it says, I think she's talking to a, it's a cat. I think it's a cat or a rabbit. I think it's a cat. And she's like, where do I go? And it's like, well, where do you, which direction do I go? And he's like, well, where do you want to go? It's like, um, it doesn't exactly. really matter to me. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter which way you go. Cause it, it's like a compass with, with no, with no true north. It's like, if you have no true north, no guiding star, no, nothing that is compelling us towards something larger, then it doesn't matter. That's right. Too many of us don't know what we want. When I ask someone, what do you want from life? What do you want? Anything? I don't know. They say, I don't know, or they can't quite clearly define it. Um, and I, and I, and I you know I dug this, I dug into this question because it fascinated me. How could you not know what you want? Think about that. It's like saying, I want to go on vacation. Well, how do I get on? How do I go on vacation? And, and like you said, like, well, where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. Well, then I can't tell you how. So I started digging and I found out people stopped asking that question. We no longer ask ourselves, what do we want? And I dug deeper and I found out why. When I started asking, well, how come you're not asking yourself this question? How come you're not asking yourself, what do you want? And the number one answer I got was, this is sad. This is tragic. Number one answer I got is, what's the point? What's the use? I can't have it anyways. Where I am in life, doing what I'm doing, I'm working three jobs, or I don't have a job, or I'm trying this and I'm trying that. What's the point, Josh? Why should I 
yeah, I want that nice big house. Yeah, I want to be able to travel the world. Yeah, I want to be able to open up an arbory or a sanctuary for cats or whatever. Doesn't matter. It, it'll never happen. People have already given up hope. When you give up hope and you become hopeless, you stop asking that question. And that's a shame. Because then you're, then you're aimless in life. You have no destination, no reason to wake up in the morning. And then you just tiptoe through life, hoping to make it safely till death one day. And that's tragic. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. Hmm. It reminds me of a... Uh... Uh, I don't remember what the name of the experiment was, but it was done way back when, when uh, they were, I think it was on, it was either on dogs or rats, but either one, it was about the concept of learned helplessness and how if the, the animal tried to think it was a dog, but they were trying to have it touch a button. So they were encouraging it to touch a button. And every time it touched a button, it got shocked. And it's like, Oh, yeah. first time it gets shocked. It's like, Oh, that really sucked. Does it a couple more times. Shocked nothing shocked and just keep shocking. Eventually it just decides to lay there and almost like a doggy depression. It just gives up. It's just like, all right, this is what it is. And uh, at some point they administer and they change it and they change it to where when they presses the button, it rewards them and it actually allows them to, I believe it's to leave. I don't think it's food in this one. I might be mixing some of my experiments, but it ultimately gives them what they're probably seeking. And then all of a sudden they light back up and then everything shifts. And I think that there's something to be said about when you feel like you've been knocked over the head enough times at some point, even as humans, we just, this is what it is. This is how life is. This is ultimately what we've been conditioned to believe. My, my belief, my subconscious is set for not enough and lack, and there's no way I could possibly take what I want right. to do, what I love, what I could be paid for in happiness and actually turn it and monetize it into something that I would really enjoy. How does somebody, if they're three jobs in, or they feel like they're in a the dead end job or something like that, like, maybe they can't completely jump ship and, and, and take their idea and turn it into something they can support their family with. But how does somebody begin making that journey in a way that is manageable, practical, and also doesn't lead someone towards apathy? Because I would imagine that it takes work. Yes, of course. And the last thing I ask people to do is leave their job or 10 jobs or whatever they got going on. That's got to keep going. That's just, that's keeping them uh, treading water. But then there's the additional time. There's always time for what's important. And by the way, time, I hate using the word time, but that's what people understand. Time is a made up concept. It doesn't even exist. There's only life. There's life and there's life and there's life. Time is some man-made thing for make sure we are at the same place at the same period of our life. <laughs> uh, let's, let's just say time. Uh, there's always time for what's important. There's all, even if you start small or start something very simply and you start developing that. There, there's always time for that. And yeah, will it take some sacrifice up front? I always say short-term sacrifice for permanent gain is okay. We have to give up our cheesy nights on Thursdays. All right. Yeah. You have to give up a couple hours of TV a day. Yeah. There's things you're going to have to give up to start building something on the side from your other jobs, but it's not, it's not forever. It's only temporary, right? Until you build that thing on the side where you can now leave your jobs, you can fire your bosses. Hmm. So it is a process. Um, but it has to go back to what do you want? It always goes back to what do you want? And here's the weird thing. People say, well, isn't success hard? Isn't it hard? And man, you, you're, you're going to make me like start build a business on the side. You're going to have to make me like 
go express my passions on the side. That's a lot of work, Josh. Isn't that hard? Yeah. Yeah. It's freaking hard. Nature requires work for, for the harvest, right? You have to plant the seeds to get the harvest. That's a, that's a natural law. There's no way around it. But you know what else is hard? Working three jobs and having nothing to show for it. Doing that for the next 30 years and still struggling and still hand to mouth, right? That's hard too. So I just ask people, I say, pick your heart. This is hard and that's hard. The only difference is what you get in return. Choose your heart. That's it. And then they can make the choice. Hmm. It seems simple, but in application, it's not that easy. And I think there's something to be said, circling back to the concept, not the concept, rather the application of the subconscious. When you we, we literally condition our bodies, our body is our subconscious mind, as Joe Dispenza would say, if our body is wired for shame, guilt, not enoughness, we become neurochemically addicted to the, those feelings. So as soon as we even begin to make that shift, that thoughts start running and it's, Oh man, I got to get up earlier. I got to give up my TV show or I got to not eat that cupcake, but I love having my cupcake at the end of the day. Cause it's the one thing I get to look forward to after a long ass day of work. It's it our minds time. always fight change. Mm. Whether the change is good or bad is irrelevant. Our minds, our bodies always fight change. It likes homeostasis, doesn't like change. Mm -hmm. But we have to realize our mind isn't part of us. Our mind isn't what we are. Our mind is a tool. It's not who we are. It's not what we are. And that's the key. Hmm. So I don't, I don't let my mind tell me what to think. I tell my mind what to think. It only goes one direction. My mind doesn't get to do whatever it wants. It's my tool, right? Screwdrivers don't tell me what to do. Screwdrivers don't, don't, come pop in my hand and like start moving my hand around. Right. I take the screwdriver and I use it as a tool when I need to. That's how I see my mind. Mm -hmm. So you don't really let any thoughts pass through your mind that don't serve you. Or if they do, they exit. I just let them go. It's okay. I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of resistance in that sense because sometimes, you know, things do pop in my head. Um, but if they're not serving me, then I forget them quickly. Hmm. I'm very good at forgetting. <laughs> Maybe too good. Hmm. Do you think that that leaves you pretty present then? Like you have a, you just spend a lot of time very present with yourself. Cause I would imagine the thing that most often pulls us out of the present moment is either thinking, ruminating or contemplating something outside of our current experience. Yes and no. I'm probably not as present as I would like to be, or as I probably should be. I'm definitely not in the past. I'm very good about forgetting the past, but I do often spend a lot of time in the future. I do spend a lot of time creating and imagining what if and like trying to create some cool stuff for the future. I don't tend to worry about the future. I don't stress over the future, um, but I do try and plan. I do try and think of, I'm always, I'm a what's next kind of guy. Like when I do something, I'm like, oh, that was awesome. What's next? What's next? What's next? I'm always like, wanting to move forward and I have to, I have to force myself to sometimes like sit and just breathe. Like it's okay. You don't have to keep pushing. So. Hmm. Yeah. Is there any kind of practices that you adhere to perhaps on a daily basis or just like habits that you know, like, okay, these are the things that I have to do in order to keep myself on track, moving towards my goals, dreams, aspirations, my purpose, if you will. Yeah, of course. 
I'm a very big fan of morning routines. Mm. Um, you know, I wake up, I have a full glass of water because the first thing I realize is I'm dehydrated overnight. So I put in a good amount of water. Um, I stretch. I have certain stretches I do that activate, uh, activate me physiologically. Um, I breathe. I only do about five to 10 minutes of breathing. I don't do a lot, but I do just enough to where I just focus on my breath, stay present. Um, I have some Tai Chi moves I do. I have affirmations, I always say, uh, kind of telling myself how to run the day properly. And then I get to it. And then from that point forward, because I, I believe in starting my day with intention. You talk about intention, right? At the beginning of your podcast here. Intention is so important. If you don't live intentionally, if you don't have an intentional life, you're going to have an accidental life. And I don't like accidents. Accidents aren't like, they, they're not, they're not associated with anything good. Like <laughs> nothing good ever happens by accident. It's usually intention, right? You want to have intention. So I always start my day with intention. Hmm. Yeah. Or your intention becomes someone else's intention because you gave your intention away. It's like your intention in essence would be like your, your freedom of choice, being able to say, this is how I want it to be. But if you don't do that, then how you're feeling that day, how you're thinking that day, what your boss decides or whatever your coworkers, or your family, like that then becomes your intention. It's like, you know, your email box. It's like my email box, my, my email isn't my priority. Like that's really the agendas of other people. But when we don't give ourselves that time to set our intentions then it's whatever we're kind of left on whim with, which for me this morning, without my intention, I don't know if I'd be on this podcast right now. My yeah. head been in, my head was running all over the place. I've used this analogy before. It's like somebody comes into your house and dumps out every single one of your cabinets takes every takes all your clothes and sharpies on them and throws them on the ground it's, it was like that and had it had its own way just would have had its own little catastrophe and hissy fit but i had to regardless of how my head was feeling i was just like oh man right now what i don't want to do is meditate that's usually how i start my day i don't want to yeah. meditate but that's the thing that i'm resisting and that's probably the thing that i need to do sure enough, it, you know, it started to shape out the day, but to your point about intention, it's not yeah. your intention, who or what is guiding that intention. Most of us wake up reactionary. We wake up to an alarm clock and it's go, go, go. And we're just reacting. Uh, but reaction's not good. You want to respond, but you don't want to react. Hmm. And so much of us, so much of our life is probably spent that way. I had yep. an exchange with somebody that was, I would just say is less than ideal. It happened today. Someone like in the middle of my journaling meditation time, I just hear yelling. I'm just like, what row? Like, <laughs> so I go and address it. And uh, I was in this almost just like, I can't be messed with type state in that. Like I hear what you're saying. And right now I don't have space for this, but I normally would have gotten very triggered and very angry and very frustrated. And like, why would you do that? Like they're pointing a finger at me and I'm pointing a finger at them, but both of us got three fingers pointing back at ourselves. It was just like, I get it. Wherever you're coming from, I get it. I can't manage this right now, but I promise I will. And that was a choice, but it very well have could have been someone else's intention overriding my intention, which for today, which I wrote was to surrender to love and to love is to, to surrender to love is not to be reactionary. That would be 
very opposite my intention. Yeah. That's cool. I like that surrender to love. Um, yeah, it kind of freaks people out when I tell them I haven't been offended or angry at a person in years. <laughs> it's really? been years. Yeah. Well, look, I used to get very angry, I used to have road rage, I used to have all kinds of issues, and they never worked out well for me. No mm-hmm. one wants to get angry, actually make the situation better, never wants to actually move me forward in life. So I said, ah, screw it, I'll just stop doing it. And just like that, I stopped. <laughs> the weirdest thing. It never popped up for you again, or you just managed it? I think if it starts, it it, just, it goes away very quickly. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's always that initial sometimes where you like you didn't even see it coming, but then yep. it just goes. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, I, I I guess I look at people more now with compassion than with anger. So I here's what happened. This is an interesting story. Uh, I used to get road rage really bad, very bad road rage, especially here in Orlando. Um, it was always like a race. I had a 45 minute drive to the office, always a race. And, uh, someone said to me once, he says, what if that person that cut you off, that's kind of like going around you and giving you a hard time and cutting you off. What if that person, what if their, 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 their kid was in the passenger seat and had just cut off their arm and they're rushing them to the hospital. What if they were racing to go see their dying mom in the hospital because she only has, you know, a half an hour to live or something or coming out of surgery or what if you gave them the benefit of the doubt? This is what this person said to me. What if you gave them the benefit of the doubt that they're not just being an asshole, that they're actually do truly need to get somewhere faster than where you need to go. What if you just assume that always, whether or not they're being an asshole is irrelevant. What if you just assume that? And when I started assuming that I was letting everyone by me, I was like, look, it's okay. You want to pass me? No problem. It was no longer a competition. I no longer got offended by that. It was like, hey, you obviously have somewhere to go faster than I do. Go right ahead. It's not going to impact my day where it used to, right? When I used to get mad, it would throw off my entire day. Hmm. That one little incident in the morning of road rage would make me pissed off the rest of the day. And it would affect my performance at work. It would affect my relationships. Since I let that go, my goodness, it's like... And I just love that. That So I started doing that everywhere, right? I assume the best. When someone gets angry at me or says something, they're trying to be hurtful. I don't see it as them being an asshole or trying to attack me. I see them as people, as a person in pain. They're, they're in pain. There's something inside that, that that's not right that makes them feel like they have to lash out. And I have compassion for them. I have pity for them. I feel bad for them. It's like a crying baby. Like, can you get mad at a crying baby? Can you? You can't get mad at a crying baby. It doesn't know any better. Somebody could, but I hear what Somebody you're saying. <laughs> but in general, you can't, right? In general, you no. just can't get mad at a crying baby. It's just what's so. Up. That's how I see people. I see people like crying babies shitting in their diapers. And then ever since I started seeing people like that, how do you get mad? Just full of compassion and love, pity, offer help. I can change your diaper for you if you want. I can help you. Oh, no, you don't? Okay. Sit in your shitty diaper. I'm going to take off now. I'm going to go leave. <laughs> and it's okay. And everyone's would, still. You wouldn't say that's in like in, in necessarily a condescending way. It's more of just like a way of looking at interpreting it as you were just Correct. in your stuff. Because 
that pointing at what I was mentioning earlier, the person that was, you know, had the lashing out, so to speak in the yeah. moment, what naturally wanted to react was, you know, some meeting that energy. But instead I was, I, I when I literally sat down, I was just like, I get it. I so get it. And I actually am very clear that the reason why the person reacted the way that they did was because they love me and they're afraid, but the fear overtook the intention of love and it got expressed as fear, which came out right. as anger was right. why didn't you, you know, that whole situation, which when you look at it, it's like you're swimming in your own shit. And, yeah. and it's, it's hard when you are in that, right. Your, your lens, your colored lens blinds you from being able to hear that what you're trying to say is being wrapped in. Right. Uh, shit. I mean, like the, the intention was, you know, the original core intention was probably good, but it's like the old saying, it's not about what you say. It's how you say it, because it does matter how you say it does matter. Now, ultimately how we receive what is said is ultimately up to us, right? Like you said, like you get to choose to say, I will not let this knock me off. Matter of fact, I'm going to bring compassion. I'm going to bring empathy because you have whatever you have going on. And there's something to be said yeah, about everyone taking good, right? You said to the intention is good. So if the intention is good and there's, it's surrounded by shit, yeah. why not focus on the intention? Why not just say, look, I know your intention was good. I'm going to ignore the shit and leave it at that, right? And that's how mm -hmm. I approach it. I just, I don't worry about the shit that's surrounding it. I know they don't mean to cover it in shit. It's not their, they don't want to cover it in shit, but it is covered in shit. So I don't touch it. I, I know there's good intention and I don't get <laughs> because of it. I only focus on the good intention. And that's me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which circles back to the age old wisdom that perspective really is everything and not to use that as a way to deny the inherent reality of perhaps some of the things that are going on around us, but to realize at any point we can make a choice to say good morning and see beyond that because it's tough. It's tough when you are in the thick of that to want to make that choice to see love. But that really is the difference between living a cultivated, created life versus a reactionary byproduct of your environment life. Correct. Correct. And it's not that you, you, you don't not see the shit. I mean, I still see it. I still see it everywhere and that's okay. I just don't let it get to me, I guess. I, you know, it's, it's there, um, but it's okay. It's there and it's okay. Hmm. So you're, you're not blind to it. You're just accepting of it in a way. It's just like, it's just there. Correct. There's a difference, right? I don't, I'm, I don't believe in ignorance. Ignorance is my enemy. Uh, so I'm, I don't want to be ignorant of anything, uh, but I'm okay with it. Hmm. If you need to come over to my house and take a dump on my carpet and that makes you feel better, I would like you to clean it up. But <laughs> if not, then fine. You may not get invited to my house again. That's all but I'm not going to get angry. It's not going to be the end of the world. You know, it's, it's okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll move on. Hmm. How you occur to me as being someone that how you orient yourself in business is how you orient yourself in your family, how you orient yourself in your practice. I mean, even right now you're wearing um, a Spartan, Spartan, uh, we call Spartan races, correct? Mm -hmm. I imagine that you're the type of person who really has this integratedness where how you be in one place is how you be in all places, which, uh, I don't yeah. relate to many people like that because it's, it's easy to have to put on faces here, put on faces there, put on faces there and have to be different people wherever you're at. 
how would you say that how you be as a person directly impacts your choices? For example, taking on, I'm going to do a Spartan race, like really what has you want to do Spartan races and things like that, because I'm, I'm making a weird turnaround here, but I have a feeling there's a deep connection between your, you know, your love for Spartan races and how it reflects on you as a person. So I guess there's a couple answers. You had a couple different questions in there. Yeah. Um, so yes, I do believe, I don't believe you can have a good home life. I don't believe you can have a, a bad business and a good home life. I don't, I don't think, I think you're, if you're a good person, you're going to be good in business. You're going to be good at home. So mm -hmm. I don't think do that. You can't separate the two, in my opinion, not successfully long-term. Um, because business is about relationships. Every business, if you don't think your business is a relationship business, you're going to be out of business really fast. Mm -hmm. So if that's a relationship business and your home life is a relationship business, <laughs> right? You have a lot of partners. You have spouses and kids and cats and all kinds of partners. What's the difference? You can't fake it here and be real here or vice versa. I don't think that's possible. Um, as far as the Spartan races go, I'm big into, I, I need reasons to do things. I think we all need reasons to do things. I like staying in shape, but to go to the gym just to stay in shape, that's not a big enough reason. I need accountability. So I compete. It was bodybuilding for many years. I got, there's reasons I left that. And now Spartan race is my new form of accountability. That's all it is. It's accountability. It's fun. I enjoy it. Um, it's something, it's a one percenter activity and it holds me accountable to staying in shape, to training, to eating right, all those things. And that's what, that's really why I do it. And I like it. Hmm. You put in a system in the form of Spartan race as a structure for commitment and accountability towards your larger purpose and vision. Hence the why I want to stay healthy. How do I stay healthy? Oh, let me go and let me take on this practice. In a you know, difficult one, if you that's will. Why I think kids, yeah, kids succeed because in school they have a report card. There's accountability in, in when we were growing up. Because if we didn't get a good report card, there'd be consequences, right? What's their accountability as adults? What's their adult report card? What's holding us accountable in terms of money, health, mindset, uh, relationships? Uh, any of these things, what's holding us accountable? We have to put those in place because there's nothing else that holds us accountable. Hmm. What's our, what's our adult report card, right? <laughs> in a way. Hmm. Well, it would seem the amount of money in our bank account in some ways. That's our financial adult report card. Yes. What about our health adult report card? Yeah. Unless you're compelled by something larger, like you're saying, wanting to see your kid graduate or, you know, play with your grandkids. I would say that there's no inherent like embedded report card for that aspect. Right. But let's say it's your medical test, right? Your blood work or something like that. That's your report card. Okay. But if you back it up into before the report card, there's a series of tests, right? You learn something and you test yourself. You learn something and you test yourself. To me, these Spartan races are my tests. If every race I'm getting faster, I'm getting better, I'm getting more skilled, I'm, I'm, beating, the, the, I'm beating the person I used to be, I know I'm, I'm passing my tests. And then when I go get my blood work, when I go to the doctor, that's my report card. 
my doctor says, hey, your cholesterol's down. Hey, your blood pressure's down. Hey, you're healthy. Hey, you've, you've got the fitness age of a 20-year-old. That's what, that's what my, my VO2 max right now says. I have the fitness age of a 20-year-old. VO2, huh? VO2 max, you never heard of that? It's how well your body utilizes oxygen. No. It's a physio, uh, exercise term, physiological term. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. And what would you say inside of Spartan Race, what would you say has been like your one to three biggest things you've learned, life lessons that you've learned through being inside of that 1% context? That there's always a finish line. Uh, I've had people ask me, they're like, because they see some of the stuff I do in Spartan Race and I go through mud and I'm climbing up these muddy ropes and swinging on this and scaling mountains, all kinds of weird stuff. They're like, don't you get tired? Don't you feel like quitting? And I'm like, yeah, I guess that happens, right? You, you get to a point where you're like, how much more? I'm tired. But you know what I do when I show up to a Spartan race? The first thing I do is I go to the finish line and I look at it. And I make sure it's there. <laughs> and then during the race, that mental picture of the finish line, every time I get tired or scrape something or I'm bleeding or I'm just like, oh my goodness, how many more 60-pound sandbags do I have to carry? I think of that finish line. Hmm. I know that if I keep going, there's going to be an end. There's a finish line. There's a, there's a win coming. If I don't quit, I will eventually finish and it will all be worth it. That to me is one of the biggest lessons of any competition is to know that. And that's the thing. Most people going back to what do you want? That's your finish line. Most people don't have a clear view of their finish line. And that's why when they're tired, when they're beat up, they're bloodied, they've been tackled, they've been hurt. That's why they give up because they don't know that there's a finish line and they don't know where that finish line is. Hmm. That's my biggest takeaway from Spartan races or any, any kind of competition like that is being able to push through any adversity and finish. Hmm. Which brings full circle your importance. And you were saying that if we don't have a purpose, if we don't know where we're going and why we're going there, ultimately it doesn't matter. You take that time. You look at that, that finish line. We've heard this everywhere at this point. It's just common knowledge. Visualization is used by all the top athletes that have, have ever really done anything of, you know, superior excellence and, and success and achievement and things of that nature. They all point at the same thing, which is I saw it before I did it. And I will be frank in saying that, you know, I do it to a certain extent, but I probably haven't done it. Honestly, I probably haven't done it as rigorously as I should, because I usually just say, okay, why well, do you need to just start doing the work? But when there comes a time when you're confronted with yourself, which as you're going through Spartan race, you're going through life, you're going through those things. If you're not able when you're ready to press the quit button, when you're ready to back out, back down to see what you were intending for, that's when most people will stop and they'll quit. You know what's crazier? Most people quit on the 99 yard line. They, they, don't, they don't quit just in the beginning. They quit, they, they pay the price. They're, they're bloody, sweaty, tired. And when they quit, they're one yard from success. And that's a damn shame. That's, that's the worst part of it all. They quit just before the finish line because they don't have that vision. They don't realize how close they are. They stop short, one inch short, one yard short. After all, all that stuff, all that 
that that effort they put forth and all the pain they went through, they got nothing for it because they gave up. Tragic. Do you suppose that asking the question, what would, if you got paid in happiness, is that the way to see the end of the Spartan race? Or is there something even more specific that people can use to see that? Cause obviously, and if you're doing a race, you can go and look at that and it's real. You have a whew, mental image. Now, of course, our brains actually really brilliant in that we can, as Joe Dispenza would say, I circle back to his work often. Cause I think it's brilliant as mental rehearsal is being able to make the, the future possibilities so real that our brain can't tell the difference that we can literally convince our brain in a wakeful walking state that 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 experience is already happening now and then it begins to actually well you know we've heard the saying like law of attraction we literally begin to draw the experience to ourselves because we have neurologically begin to install the hardware and the the software necessary to actualize that potential circling back to my question do you think that that que- the the answering the happiness question does that or is there even better way uh, to get clear vision the ha- happiness is just a start uh, i know people use vision boards things like that but i would say test drive your dream take it for a test drive you want a nice car go test drive it nothing it is real then isn't it if you're actually behind the wheel doing a test drive you don't own it yet but you can test you can go see a house go to an open house of a house you like and imagine yourself, take pictures of yourself in that house, like you're living there. Who cares? Hmm. Who's going to know? Um, you want to travel the world? Maybe that's just your experience. Go spend a night. Maybe you want to travel like very ritzy. You, you like the higher level. You want to be pampered and all that. Go spend one night at a Ritz-Carlton or an Intercontinental or a nice resort like that. Go spend a night there. Go So go test drive it. Go do... As, get as close as you can to that kind of life, even if you're only renting it for a night or for a minute. And that'll help with your, your imagery. That'll help with your vision. Hmm. Cause then it's not, it's not just in our head. We have a practical, tangible way of looking and saying, ah, yes. Touch, yes. Touch your dream. Rent which your in, dream. Which in a way also that's a really great way to figure out if it's not actually our dream, but somebody else's dream. Cause if we go and we do the thing and we're like, that wasn't nearly as sweet as I thought it was going to be. That might be a telltale like, Oh, that actually was something I got from my dad or, Oh, that was actually something that I was told by society that that's what I really wanted. But when I went and I did it, that wasn't the reality whatsoever, which to me is, I think is really great, especially if you know, you're, you're younger or really at any stage of your life. And you're thinking about pursuing a particular vocation, a path, a career, instead of going and getting a degree in it, and then realize you don't want to do that thing, go and go find an apprenticeship. Even if it's just like a day or like interview the person that's doing that type of work. Yes. Interview your future. I always tell people that interview your future, go talk to someone who's doing it. Why not? Oh yeah. Or something I always recommend people do carry a hundred dollar bill in your wallet. Always. Not to spend it, but every time you open up your wallet, you should see that hundred dollars. Right. And just know that it's there and it changes your mindset. When, when you're in a crowd of other people and you know, you've got that hundred bucks, you know, you're probably wealthier at that moment, uh, in that room than 99% of the people there. Uh, it just changes your mindset. It changes the way you see things, the way you feel hmm. and how you 
speak, how you hold yourself. You hold yourself different. In my opinion, you had a $100 bill versus broke versus no money. You're going to hold yourself different in a business setting, let's say. Um, so, yeah, there's all kinds of little tricks and hacks and things you can do. Hmm. And your mission, as it were, in one expression of your mission, that is, is helping people to create that financial freedom. Hence, and we haven't really even fully dived into it yet, but broke is no joke. Yes. What, what broke, is, by the way, is not money. It's, it's all, it's, it's really a mindset thing. Money is just a very small part of it. <laughs> okay. So let's dive into that. What's the mindset about? What is, what is broke is no joke in its essence about? Yeah, it's really, it's an edutainment platform that's designed to expose the truth. You're not supposed to know about all that stuff you care about. So imagine all those people that are stressed out, overpaid, underpaid, over, underappreciated, working a job they hate. What I love doing is helping them escape that rat race, that endless point of the self-defeating cycle that they're in so that they can get to the next level of freedom. They can go and become, hit that freedom that they were promised growing up. And that could be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. It could be money. It could be health. It doesn't really matter. The process is really the same. Hmm. Uh, but it's that awareness piece. It always starts with that awareness piece. Uh, so money, for example, here's the thing. No one has a money problem. Did you realize that? Nobody has a money problem. It's kind of like saying people have a body fat problem. You know, two, two thirds of our society's overweight. One third is obese. But is body fat really the problem? Or is it their diet, their amount of exercise, their physical lifestyle? Is it because the problem is the body fat, right? The, the body fat is the result of how they live. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So body fat's not the problem. It's just the result. It's, it's the indicator. You can look at someone and look at their body fat and say, they're probably not eating right. Or if they're, you know, there's something that could be changed, right? Um, money's the same way. Money's the exact same way. Money in someone's bank account is just the indicator of how they think and what they do. That's all it is. So if we can change how a person thinks and what a person does, if you think like wealthy people think and you behave like wealthy people behave, shouldn't you have what wealthy people have? Am I, am I missing something there? If you think like they think, let's forget about wealthy because people get screwed up with money. If you think like an athlete and you behave like an athlete, shouldn't you have the physiology and the, the, the physicality of an athlete? Shouldn't over you a period it? of time. Over a period of time, of course. But if all you think about is, I need to train, I need to eat right. What do athletes do? They train, they eat right, they work out, they take care of themselves, or right, all that kind of stuff. You think like that, and therefore you behave like that. You carry yourself like that. Shouldn't you eventually end up with the body and the mindset of an athlete? Hmm. Of course. Money is no different. Same exact thing. This seems to be more, more than a philosophy. This is literally a way of life is being able to ask the questions. Essentially the question should be pointing at, as, as we've circled to a couple of times is the vision. And if I can't confidently say that what I'm doing is pointing at using your context of, you know, being an athlete is what I'm doing now actually pointing at that or is it not? And then 
ultimately being able to just stand firm in a position around either I'm going to commit to this and, and work on my health or I'm going to not. But the in-between where I think so many of us exist in, in, in you know, just a byproduct of not being, I don't know, maybe it's like owning up to it. it's like either own, you're not going to take care of your health and be like, I'm not going to do it. And that's just what it is. Or own that that's you're going to do it and do something about it. Right. Don't, don't sit in the land of delusion. A lot of people are in the land of delusion. They're like, I want to be healthy and I think I'm doing healthy stuff, but really you're not. And you know, you're not deep down. Uh, I used to train bodybuilders uh, to get on stage, to get you know competition and train other people at the gym they used to run, they used to own. And uh, people would say, I need to, I need to lose weight. What, what should I eat? I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't need me to tell you what to eat here. Salad or pizza? Which one? Salad. Okay. Soda or water? Which one? Water. People know what to eat. That's the funny part. We already know. We just haven't made that decision to actually follow what we know. Mm. We know the answers. We're not asking the right questions. That's why we struggle. We're not stupid. We know what's, we know what healthy food is. We know how to work out. Uh, and if we don't, we know where to find the information. We just haven't made the decision to actually become healthy. We're not willing to pay the price yet, right? We're not willing to do what it takes to get to that destination because hmm. we're not serious about it. And to be honest, if we don't have to, we're probably not going to. Um, like a sense of urgency. Yeah, in a way, you know, there's three questions I always say people have to answer if they want success in anything. These are the foundational questions. Uh, what do you want is the first one. The second one, most people think it's, uh, why do you want it? That's not the right question. It's why must you have it? There's a huge difference between those questions. Why do you want it? Oh, because, boy, wouldn't it be nice to be rich and happy and wealthy and this and that and healthy and feel good? Wouldn't that? That's the why. I'm talking, why must you have it? Who's going to die if you don't get it? Who's going to get hurt? What are the consequences? See, we, there's no consequence for us being fat and lazy in this country, in the country we're in right now. There's no consequence. We could be fat and lazy and live 90 years. Well, we won't starve. We don't have to hunt for our food. We don't have to do anything. We're spoiled freaking people, let's just say, in this country. So look, we don't have to be healthy. And if you don't have to do something, you ain't going to do it. Let's just put it where it is. If there's not a must, if there's nothing writing on it, you ain't got to do it. And for that matter, we don't have to be wealthy. We don't have to have money in this country. We can, we can, make, we can make do with being broke. A lot of people do. So how do you create that must? That's the, that's the magic. How do you help someone create a must-have out of something they want as opposed to a nice-to-have, like health, like money? That's the challenge. Mm -hmm. And would you say that that is applicable to certain contexts but not to others? So, for example... I guess my real question is, is, is how do you make that go from a, I'd yeah. like to have that too. I must have that. That is actually the really, the real question. Cause I'm thinking about like, okay, well I don't have to have an intimate relationship, but 
I would like to have that. I'd like to be able to have, you know, a, a partner that I could journey through life with. I don't have to have, you know, a shit ton of money. And quite frankly, I'll be the first to admit I'm, I'm one of the people who is learning how to reframe their, their minds around money. Cause I like, guess never been like a must have for me. Cause I, I don't have this like super ambitious of like having a bunch of cars and a crazy nice house. Like I, I live more towards like the minimalist and being able to, to not need as much and just being like really happy and at home with myself and being a happy at home with the people that I love and care about. And, um, but there is a point where you do have to say, how do I shift something to a must have? That's, that's a really great question. Cause I can't say yeah. that, you know, it's the easiest mindset to adopt. Cause there are just some things I tell myself, like, I'm going to just do it because I need to do it. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like a must. Like I don't have to go and work out, you know, five, six days a week. I just do it because I know that it's good for me. Inherently, I know right. when me working out, I feel better. I, I, my, my mental space right. is clearer. I have more energy and it allows me to do what I really love to do, which is to move better. And I'm all about movement and animal there locomotion. So the consequence of not working out is high enough that it's worth paying the price to go work out. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm talking about. What's the consequence of not doing something? For you, the consequence of not working out is pretty high. You won't be able to move as well. You're not going to feel as good. It's going to affect you in every aspect, just like me. Um, I don't think a lot of people have that level of consequence in their life. Because we're in such a privileged society, we don't really have to be healthy or have money. So there are ways to increase accountability and to drive that must-have. There are ways to do that. Um, definitely give me one. What's that? Definitely give us one. We want to know. All right. I'll give you one. Announce it publicly. Hmm. You want to lose weight. Let's say that's just a common goal, right? You want to lose 30 pounds. Announce it publicly. I am losing 30 pounds by this date and tell everybody, you know, because here's the thing. Well, one of the reasons we fail at our goals is we don't share it with anyone. We become what I call a secret agent. Hey, if no one knows, I can quit and no one will know. No one will be any wiser. It lets us off the hook too easy. Announce it to everyone you know. Make a commitment. Let everyone you know you're doing that. And here's the thing. You're not going to be able to quit because the shame of quitting will be so, will be so high. It'll be so much... It'll be... Uh, That'll raise your accountability so high, you're not going to quit. You're, you're going to achieve it. Hmm. So don't be a secret agent. Let other people know. Announce if you're serious about it. Now, if you're not serious about it, don't tell anyone. But if you're 100% committed to it, announce it to everybody you know publicly. Hmm. And I guarantee you will get there. Or you're going to suffer the wrath of people like, you know, all the naysayers are going to come out. I told you you couldn't do it. And then all these other people are going to like, what happened? It's, it's, that's usually too much for people to handle. Hmm. Oh, that's just one little way. Hmm. And hopefully at some point on the journey, you're no longer being driven by the, sh- the shame and the guilt of what will people think and more by you do the journey and you come to realize, Oh shit, yes. this actually has. So for me, uh, this has benefit for me. So for me, the working out 
there was a point where I dropped working out, which I knew inherently was like really good for me, but I was just in a very depressed state. And it was tough sometimes just to get myself to go and commit to one single workout. Like even just one more, I'd wrap my head around how the hell am I going to get myself to go four or five times a week. But I finally got myself to really start to embody this, this new principle that I'm taking on, which is the, like the, the power of one, which is no matter what I do, even if it's like whatever commitment I have, I can at least do one. You know, I don't need yeah. to read a hundred pages in a book. I can just read one. And if I can get one, yeah. that's a win. If I can hit one set of a workout, then that is a win versus when I get into those depleted states, I don't want to go and work out or I'll say, well, I can't do a full workout right now. I feel like ass. Yeah. But to, to instill that, that rule of one, like I can at least do one set. Or even if you're like, I can't do one set, like, okay, I can do one rep. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone's got the time, the energy and the resources for one. And, and, you, and you're right. Public shaming, for example, is just, it's a very low level of accountability. Yeah. It works. Um, but at some point it starts, it moves to internal and it's something I call identity. Hmm. There, there, you set, you start setting bars for yourself. You, you have standards for yourself that you're not willing to violate else you start losing your identity. That's when things get a lot of fun. Now you don't care what anyone else thinks. Now you're not worried about publicly announcing. Now you're doing it because you have to, to stay the person that you are and to keep growing. Hmm. Otherwise you recede. That's when things get a lot more powerful and a lot more fun. But most people aren't ready for that level yet. They haven't yet found their identity and they're not ready to build their identity up to a place where they have some minimum standard of excellence. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you are correct. That external shaming is, it works, but it's, it's definitely a lower energy, lower level form of accountability. So then in a way, would you say that it, if it needs to start with that lower level of the shame and guilt, then that's where to start in that there's not inherently anything wrong with, I always tell people this is you have to start where you're at. And eventually if you do it enough times, like with anything, it becomes a habit. Then you've missed that workout one time. And all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, that day I did not work out. That was the day I felt the most garbage. Right. Yeah. And, and if you need to start with shame and guilt and all that, start with it, not a problem at all. Um, because here's the thing. If you use that as a tool, and let's say you do lose the 30 pounds, right? Let's say it works. You lose your 30 pounds. You've never lost 30 pounds like that in your entire life. What just happened to your identity, your self-belief? It just went up a notch. Like you, just built, you just raised the bar for yourself. So now, next time, maybe you don't need as much external shame and guilt. Maybe a little bit. And as you raise that bar, eventually, it goes internal, and you just keep that bar moving upward. Hmm. I think this is really great and important to point at because
Yeah. And re- it's remembering the good, but also forgetting the bad. Because hmm. there, there's a lot of programming we go through while we're here, right? And forgetting the bad. It, I, I think we're conditioned to fail. But if that's true, then we can also forget how to fail. I think we can unlearn some of the bad things too. Hmm. The blocks, the things that hold us back, the fear, the doubts, the the worries, all that kind of stuff that's kind of instilled into us growing up. Hmm. We can forget that, which allows us to remember the good. Wow, so fucked and it's so deep just to think that so much of how I was raised, I know a lot of people raise the fear of failure, which if you're so deeply afraid of failure, hence don't fail this math test, because what does that mean? If you fail at math or if you fail at this class or you fail at any of these things, maybe you'll be punished. You'll probably be punished. You probably won't be stepping towards this ideal that we have created of worthiness, like of the job or whatever it is. So then people school is something that you have to do, but when it comes to doing the things that involve your heart and bearing your soul, the fear of failure becomes greater than the commitment to success. And then we don't start or begin because we're afraid of the potential ridicule either from others. But, you know, obviously I would say that our biggest critic is always ourselves. We don't want to have to go through that pain. So why start? And you're 100% right. And in school, and as we're raised, we're taught failures on one side of the spectrum and success is on the other. And we're like in the middle, right? So we have to run towards success, stay away from failure. But that's not true. It's actually, we're here in the middle. Failure is in our way and success is on the other side of failure. You have to go through failure to hit success. There's no other way. Oh, you got muted. Ha ha. So now that we're here and success and failures here and then success is on the other side of failure, the opposite of success and failure is nothingness. Hmm. Nothing. There's nothing over here. Shit. Which that was very, very beautifully put because you go, we going from this perspective of, this duality, you're either this or this too. No, you are actually, both of these are inherent in the journey. You will income, overcome, uh, you'll take on failure in the process of success, but then there's the full opposite side of the spectrum says there's no failures, no success, it's just the journey. This is what's so. Yeah. That even the failure in and of itself could be a success if you looked at it from, ah, yes, I've just figured out one more way that this doesn't work. Hey, you want to hear something slick? Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as failure. Let me explain. There's only three things that can happen. You can succeed, which obviously is not failure, right? You can succeed. You can learn, right? Learn how not to do something, which is not failure because you learn something, or you can quit. And can you fail at something you've already quit on? Can you fail at something you're not doing? No. So you can succeed, you can learn, you can quit. That's it. There really truly is no such thing as failure. But we fear it like it is the plague, like it is Corona. We fear it like it's Corona. (laughs) You know, on the surface, I, on the surface, we do fear failure, but deeper down, we actually fear success. And I've heard both. That's where our truest fear lies. 
was it Marion Williamson? It's not our, our, it's, it's not our, it's not our, it's not our darkness that we fear the most. It is our light or something like that. It is our light that we, we fear the most. Exactly. And she's spot on, man. We are so afraid of success. We're so afraid that once we start pedaling that bike, and we start getting a little bit of success, we're afraid that we're going to have to keep pedaling it forever and we're going to have to go faster and faster. And then what if I can't? What if I'm not good enough? What if I screw it up? What if I crash the bike? What if I, and we start, we're so afraid of success. We're so afraid to give ourselves a chance. That's, that's our true fear, not failure. Because let me tell you something. Let's assume our failure versus success. Let's go back to our spectrum, right? Let's say it is like this. Aren't most of us like right here? Aren't most of us like right next to failure? Aren't most of us one paycheck away or one no paycheck away from being out of our house? One missed payment, one uh, one uh, heart attack away from being in the hospital and dead. Aren't we just like one little stone's throw away from failure? Most of us. Hmm. How the hell can you be afraid of something that you're already doing? So I call bullshit on fear of failure. Most people are already failing or they're what stones throw away from failure. So I tell you what, it's not fear of failure. It's fear of success. It's fear of what if we are good enough? What if I don't live up to my potential? We're the only species on this planet that can choose to live below its potential. You realize that? No, no. The tree cannot choose to live below its potential. The tree will have as many flowers and grow as tall as it possibly can, as, as big as nature will allow it to. Uh, a bull will screw as many cows as it possibly can. Uh, we're the only species on this planet that can choose to live below what its potential is. And that's our problem. At least one of them. Hmm. How do we then begin to overcome our fear of success. And as it seems like every great mission is founded on is striving towards yep. our inherent potential. You got to forget all the bullshit we were told. We got to forget how to fail again. That's, that's the first step. Um, we have to forget this American dream. We we're talking about the American dream before the nice house and the white picket fence and the 2.3 kids and the, you know, the, 1.9 cars in the driveway and all this crap. We got to forget all that crap we were told. That ain't our lives. That's not what we're about. That was given to us. That was, we, we just became parrots. All we do is we parrot what we hear. So we got to stop that crap and we got to give ourselves a chance. We got to really go out there and not be afraid to fail or to, or to stumble. You know, there, when we were young, there, there was a time when we weren't afraid of failing or, or stumbling, learning to walk. Like, we had no fear. Most of us are walking right now, um, if we're able to. And that's because we just didn't know how to stop. We didn't know how to quit. Learn helplessness. You talked about it. We have to learn how to quit. We weren't born knowing how to quit. That's why most of us walk. We didn't like fall 80 times as a two-year-old or as a one-year-old and say, oh, I guess this walking thing ain't for me. I'm just going to crawl everywhere. We didn't do that. We had to learn how to quit. So once we, once we can forget how to quit, there's no bounds anymore. We're off to the races. Hmm. Maybe we shift the perspective from a learned helplessness to a learned successfulness or a learned yeah. 
gratefulness, greatness, potential. It's being able to put ourselves in a position to say, I will continue to do what I need to do until the thing from which that I am aiming towards is fulfilled upon, no matter how many roadblocks, obstacles, or how many times I really, you know, our greatest adversary is ourselves, no matter how many times I have to confront myself. Let me, let me paint a, let me paint my vision of a future world. Imagine this. I, I believe in free trade. I really do. Imagine a world of what I call personal free trade, where everyone takes their gift they maximize it to the fullest. Everything they produce, they share with another person. So my gift is different than your gift, right? Hmm. Whatever I do best, I just do that to the best of my ability. So I do it less expensively. I do it more efficiently. Because um, here's the thing. If you do what I do best, you're going to be slower at it. It's going to cost more. You're going to be less efficient. And it's going to be poorer quality. Same if I do the same. Mm-hmm. So what if you do what you do best? I do what I do best. And we just... We trade, we share. I guarantee you there won't be hunger. There won't be war. All this stuff, all the stress and hatred and racism and misogyny and all the stuff that goes on, that all goes away. It all goes away because that's all created anyways. That's all fake and false and created by us. That's not natural. Hate is not natural. Love. Love is the only natural thing that exists. Outside of that, everything else has been created. What if we had a silent? What if everyone just did the best they could and shared with everyone else? That's my vision. Personal free trade. I love that so much. You just uh, represented to me what I believe in a way like my my purpose is in this life as a really large grand scheme is that every single person that, uh, I mean, it can can really go beyond me, but at least starting with me that every single person I come into contact with knows that I was a stand for them to be able to unapologetically live their truth and love themselves and the people around them without boundary. And that idea of free trade points at a world removed of greed and an overindulgence and over in hoarding and everything else. And it just points at how can I take what I'm good at that I love doing and support you and vice versa. That's it. So you're living in your own personal authenticity and happiness. There are other people are living in theirs and we're sharing the bounty, so to speak, the harvest. And those that don't have the ability that can't, there's plenty left over for them. There, there's just no, the only downside is there's no war and war you know, or I guess maybe drives production and the economies, but so many things go away. I guess divorce lawyers might be out of work. Um, there's, there's, there's things, <laughs> there are industries like, uh, I think that the legal industry might have some issues, right? They're, they're not going to like it too much. They're, they're, that's going to kind of crater. Um, so yeah. All right. There's going to be some ramifications to, of course. Like, to the <laughs> pharmaceuticals and everything starts to trickle down because there's happier people yeah pharmaceutical that industry's gone um wow holy moly doctors a bunch of doctors will be out of work there'll be fewer surgeries fewer disease 
Uh, but you know what? I, like I said, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I'm willing to do that. Hmm. If people want to get connected with you, my friend, what's a good Simply, way for them? Yeah, simplest way, social media, whatever their favorite social media is, broke is no joke. And then my website, brokeisnojoke.org. You can set up a conversation with me. You can see some of my online classes, coaching, whatever. Say hi. It's all good. And if someone's listening, we've talked about a great number of things. What is one thing if they want to to not live as a bystander, to live below their potential, to enter a state of learned helplessness and get to the end of their life and, you know, have that, you know, one of the top five regrets, number one being, I wish I'd lived, I'd had the courage to live a life that was true to me versus the life that others expected of me, but to begin living that life now, what is one thing that somebody can take and actualize on their potential? Okay. I would, I would give them this challenge. I would tell them to sit down one day, clear their thoughts, like a, a time when they can't be interrupted, sit down and write their ideal eulogy. They should, you want to talk about the ultimate goal setting? Write down what's going to be read at your funeral with clarity. And I mean, severe clarity, like who's going to read it? What exactly are they going to say? What are the names of the companies you owned or how did you impact the world? What was your legacy? Who's showing up there that said, hey, before I met Wolf, I was here. And then after I met him, I was here. And this is the impact he had on my life in this specific way. I mean, I want to know their names, their ages, how you met them. Write your ideal eulogy. And that becomes your guiding light. That becomes now you're going to spend the rest of your life making that eulogy come true. Hmm. it's a good starting point anyways start with the end in mind that's it that's the ultimate end right <laughs> brilliant well mr mrs epis josh it has been a absolute pleasure being here Quite with fun. you Thank this you is for... always fun <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Be able to share this time, have some fun, say some silly things, maybe even a couple of things that make sense. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> or we're just full of shit. <laughs> we'll figure it out when time comes. That's right. Hey, if, if someone takes, takes away one nugget from anything we said and it makes them think a little different or question something, awesome. Mission accomplished then. That's all. Oh, yeah. And for those of you who are listening, thank you so much for your time, for your energy. I love you so much. And as always, continue to find, follow, and live the truth within you. And uh, yeah, continue to find and follow the wolf within you. How? Peace. Thank you so much for listening in. If you got value out of this message, we would love it if you subscribed and shared it with your tribe so we can continue to share this message and this medicine with people all over the world. Much love and peace be with you.